Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Associate Pastor Ian Mulraney. So I'm looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 2, 10, if, any, if you have a Bible and want to look it up. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, everybody, how are you all doing? Good. Good. Cool. We vibe. Um... I'd like to just start by uh, telling you what I hope the good news for us this morning is. That's that we are raised up and sent out, and that we are, um, if you are in Christ, you've been raised up with Christ, and you now have authority to go out and heal the world. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Nice. See you guys next week. One drop. Yes. Um, Yeah. And so this passage that we're at this morning, you know, we're continuing Ephesians, and this is Paul's general 
theology, Christianity 101 letter, which he kind of wrote as just a generic discourse of what Christian theology and morality is. And so he starts right after his introduction here into what I think most of us have come to know as what we call the gospel, right? The good news of telling the story of Jesus and what that means for us who believe. And so has anyone seen this before? This diagram this is called the four circles because there are, count them, four, four circles. circles. <laughs> oh, you guys. All right. We all went to elementary school. Um, okay. So the way the four circles works is this is actually a story. I think it all on one page, there's a time flow here. And it starts in the upper left corner and goes clockwise, which is to the right and tells a story. And it's the same story that Paul is telling in these verses here. Um, the first circle up on the left with just the two people, that's the way it's supposed to be. That is how everything was in the beginning. For those of us who are Christians, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, God made everything good, that there wasn't any brokenness or jealousy or murder or strife or any of the stuff that we call sin, that, God, or that people lived in harmony with God, with nature, and with one another. But, that's the way it was supposed to be, but something happened, and that was that sin entered into the world through human rebellion. And that is circle number two up there. So if you go to the top left, then you go to the top right. And suddenly all the squiggles entered into the circle. The, cir the squiggles are sin. The squiggles represent a divide between human beings. It, it represents brokenness in the world. It represents brokenness between people and their God. And we'll be getting more into this later, but we'll be using this framework a lot. And so Paul actually starts... Well, down in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, he says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul says that we're living in this broken, sinful age and that we too are part of that and that we too, because of that, are actually dead. This is a little confusing for me because I don't remember being dead at one point. <laughs> and so it takes a little bit of, I want us to ponder that and think about what he could possibly be meaning. I do know what death is like though, not personally, but having experienced it around me. Death is not a good thing. Um, I don't have to tell you what it's like to have someone you love die, or to watch opportunities and hopes that you were hoping for lost. You know, to know that no amount of planning or scheming or begging or crying could possibly bring that lost person or thing back. Dead is dead. And death is not only permanent, but it's present. It's coming for all of us. And one thing Nine Months of Fatherhood has taught me is that it seems very highly accessible, too. Um, honestly, after having Ollie for nine months, I have no idea how there are eight billion of us on this planet because it feels like 
maybe we should be losing a lot more kids than we are. <laughs> maybe it's just me. Um, but yeah, like even before babies are born, it's like you have to make sure the mom is eating the right thing and staying away from cat litter because cat litter has things that they shouldn't touch and doing all these sorts of things. And then labor is the whole ordeal. And then if the baby is born healthy and successfully, then you have to make sure the baby doesn't roll out of the crib or off the changing table or doesn't run into traffic when they're old enough. And like death is around every corner. This picture is literally a snapshot of what Ollie looks like two seconds after Amanda and I turn our backs on him. (laughs) That's him. I don't know how he gets it, but no matter how many toys, no matter how many toys we put out for him, he goes towards mom's phone charger or the sockets and the outlets or whatever he's not supposed to get into. And it's it's just crazy and it's terrifying and yeah. And it's like, wow, death is accessible and everywhere. And the language that Paul uses for that is what he talks about. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Does anyone know what that is code for? The ruler of the kingdom of the air? Satan. Satan, yes. The adversary, as he is known in his original language. The leader of demons and forces opposed to God, such as sin and death. And... What is Satan's kingdom? What does Paul say it is? Air. 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 Where is air? Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Like, I originally read this as up there, but then, like, the commentaries were like, oh, it's more like kingdom of the oxygen. And that's like, <laughs> oh, well, I need oxygen. <laughs> Satan's kingdom and power is prevalent in this world. This is what the second circle is showing us, that like it's not just... Go ahead. Actually, yeah, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You know, Satan in his dominion. But yeah, the second circle right after that. One more slide, please, Kyle. Yeah. If the first circle, everything is good and as it's supposed to be, the second circle is everything is bad, And nothing is as it's supposed to be. Family relationships are broken down. There is sexual abuse and immorality. People use violence and engage in warfare and are greedy and selfish and living for themselves. We hate God. We hate each other. We abuse the planet and take care of the natural world that God has made for us. That's Satan's kingdom. And it's everywhere. And so this is where things might get a little sticky. Because Paul says um, that we too lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That we followed the ways of this world We lived in Satan's dominion and participated in it and were dead because of it and are deserving of wrath. And I know that there are some of us here who have kind of been deconstructing our faith and verses like this can make us feel uncomfortable because I think in the past they've been used as weapons of shame and guilt to make us feel crappy about ourselves 
or at least that's the fruit that they bore. But the unfortunate thing is I think that these verses actually hold a lot of truth to them. That we do live gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And that that actually is antithetical to living in God's kingdom. Take, for example, Oliver again. Last week, Oliver's desires led him to seeing a shiny quarter on the ground, picking up and wanting to stick it into his mouth. And then that kid had the gall when mommy took the quarter away from him to get mad and cry. Oliver's desire was to see something shiny and swallow it. But I don't think, you know, hopefully none of us, like, I don't think any of us have the desire to swallow quarters, and if you do, seek help. (laughs) (laughs) There are experts out there. But I think all of us can admit that we acknowledge that if following every desire and craving that we have leads to unhealthiness and unwellness and, you know, is not good for us and is actually selfish, just... Think about New Year's. New Year's Eve just came around and lots of people make New Year's resolutions. Who made New Year's resolutions this year? I won't ask what you guys made, but I was looking up what the most popular New Year's resolutions over the last five years were. They were, what popped up on each of those lists for each year was eat healthier, exercise more, spend less screen time. You know, if our flesh's cravings were for vegetables and exercise, people wouldn't need to make a New Year's resolution to go to the gym, right? We would just be naturally doing it. But there's something much more appealing to the thought of laying on the couch, eating Doritos, and scrolling social media. Or if not appealing, it's easier. What our hearts desire are not always what is best for us. And sometimes can actually be antithetical to our own health or well-being or the health and well-being of others. You know, in big picture, I think this comes when we choose the unjust pursuit of wealth and power over the well-being of others, when we choose the satisfying of our own sexual cravings over the health of our families or our own bodies. When we choose to repeatedly indulge in dangerous substances over the wellness of our minds, our bodies, or our bank accounts. You know, there's millions of other ways that we can gratify the desires of the flesh. And to be fair, people don't do this because it's bad. You know, people don't lay on the couch and eat Doritos because it's bad for you. But because it promises ease. It promises security. It promises fun and a better life. You know, when we engage in sin, sin has a way of being really tempting and good-looking at first. Like McDonald's, right? (laughs) McDonald's is easy and convenient and cheap, but if you ate that every day, there's a whole documentary on what happens. You know, it's not good for you. The dangerous reality is that all sin, when we choose to engage in it, is like a small suicide. It's Jacob Marley from A Christmas Carol who built the chains of wealth that tortured him and dragged him down in the afterlife. You know, each decision, each time we choose to engage in sin, it becomes easier to engage in again and again 
and it slowly brings destruction and decay to your financial well-being, to your relationships, to your physical health, and in every case of sin, to your soul. Now, I also want to not make sure I don't minimize the idea of sin, because when Paul uses the language like gratifying the cravings of the flesh, it brings to mind personal responsibility and choices, which, if you break it down on every level, sin does come down to individual choices made by individuals. But the kingdom of the air is more prevalent than just individual people. It exists throughout nations and communities and governments, Whenever we see systems of poverty that keep people generally, generationally down and not able to escape the bonds of not having wealth, whenever we see exploitation and oppression, or we see corrupt business practices and corporations or tyrannical governments, that is labeled as sin as well. And that exists on a corporal level, not just individual. That is the kingdom of the air having dominion over those things as well as our individual lives. And so, I think it's time for some good news. And I, I, I want to talk about like that thought of, I, I don't know what it was like to be dead before. And Paul doesn't say we actually died. He says you were dead in your transgressions. And then something happened, and that something is that Christ entered the world. God came in the form of Jesus to save us from our sins. And he didn't just do that. He did that ultimately by dying on the cross. But before that, he healed, he healed lepers. And he didn't just heal them by making their leprosy go away, but he touched them, which was something that was forbidden for people to do. God restored people's physical well-being as well as their emotional and you know, just giving people dignity. He taught and discipled women who weren't allowed to be students like Mary Magdalene. Jesus came to show and everywhere he went he was creating pockets of heaven creating these little places of what it was supposed to be like in that first circle. That in God's world, there isn't disease, there isn't death, there isn't subjugation, there isn't isolation. That God's kingdom is a community where all people are welcome, where all people are equal in Jesus. And because of that, the kingdom of the air tried to get rid of him and throw him out. And he was put on the cross by the governments of the day, and he was executed. But that execution was actually a coronation. Because Jesus, on the cross, died, and he came back from the dead. And when he did that, death is defeated forever. And so here's what I think happened. I think that Jesus went from life to death, back to life again. Because I think we were just existing in death to begin with. I don't know if we were ever really alive before. I think that, and this is just my interpretation, so if you disagree, that's fine. This is me, not God. But I think that there was a, like, it's kind of like waking from a dream. I had a dream the other night about my best friend from high school, that we were out at a restaurant together. And then when I woke up, you know, I was like, did that actually happen? 
And the reason I knew it didn't happen was because my best friend from high school in the dream looked just like he did in high school. And now he has like 60 more pounds and a full beard and he was clean shaven back then. And like, you know, I think life without Christ is just walking through a dream. I think it's just kind of being dead in our transgressions and sins. We're seeking to know what living is. And until we encounter Christ, we don't know what the way it's supposed to be. And so the third circle up there represents that, what it means to meet Christ. Jesus enters into this broken world, and he comes for people and invites them to follow him, to have faith in him. And when we do that, when we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, when we believe that he is God incarnate and that um, death is defeated forever, we get to see that the ruler of the kingdom of the air is just a pretender, right? His kingdom is a mockery of God's. Satan's kingdom is in the air, but oxygen is contained by the atmosphere. God's kingdom is in heaven, which exists beyond that, past the stars, past the moon, past the air. You know, Satan might be in the oxygen, but Jesus' kingdom is everywhere. And it's more holistic and encapsulating, and it restores the balance of this universe. You know, we can be made alive too, and we can be, you know, more than just holy people. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we cuss less or we don't have sex. Like, it means that, it doesn't mean you just pray the right way. It means that through faith, you cling to this idea that out there somewhere there is a being made of goodness and light and love who is ending all our sorrows and promises that one day all things will be made new. Thank you. That is an amen. So your spiritual deaths are now spiritual resurrections. And this is what's crazy. Paul you know, talks about that Jesus came that... God exerted power to raise Christ up from the dead when he was killed and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, above all rule and authority, above the kingdom of the air. But that when we have faith in Christ, we're not just resurrected so we can twiddle our thumbs till we die physically and go to heaven, but actually Paul says that we were raised up with Christ and seated with him. You know, that's not something that's far off, like when we die that will happen or in some future date. But it says that if we've already believed, we're raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Jesus' physical death and resurrection has become our spiritual resurrection. And if we're seated with him, that means all these kingdoms and dominions and powers and sin, we actually have authority over in Christ. So we don't need to be afraid of the powers of darkness and evil anymore because we have the authority to rebuke the devil and cast out Satan. And I think that's part of what our mission is, to go around like Jesus and create these pockets of heavens, reminding people what it is supposed to be like. And we can't do this just as a warning. We can't do this using Satan's power. We can't use the means of the kingdom of the air. Jesus didn't come to force people to believe in him. You know, there's no inquisitions or crusades or violence. Jesus came to teach, to serve, to heal, and to die. And somehow, that's the power and authority that will defeat Satan. We don't need to feel or fear physical death anymore. 
because we've already been dead, and now we're actually realizing what life is like in the first place. Um, that's what those two lines are like representing in the middle, like um, they're blocking, we can't go from sin to creating what the world is supposed to be like in that fourth circle. You see those people are getting sent out, and if you notice, the squiggles aren't as prominent because people who know Jesus have the ability to go and create pockets of metal. And so as I wrap this up, I want to just kind of conclude by finishing with this last verse here that Paul talks about. We're saved not by works so that no one can boast, but we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, if we believe in Jesus, there's a mission for you, and that mission is to go and be creating pockets of heaven like I talked about. But you're not doing that in order to be saved. You're doing that because you already have been equipped and healed by Jesus to do that. Um, lots of people can do good things for selfish reasons. That doesn't mean they're not good things, but you can live your whole life living, you know, doing social work or whatever, and still at the end of your days find that you have a broken, selfish, unhealed soul. And so good works also aren't works of the law. Like I said, it doesn't mean you're not swearing or having sex or whatever else people think Christians are like. It means that you're preaching the gospel. It means you're healing the sick, feeding the hungry, making the earth feel like heaven is already here. That wherever you go, wherever your church goes, that heaven has come and is here already. You know, when Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, that's what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's our gospel, that's our mission, to go and bring it near to those who are hurting out there, who don't know Jesus, who are suffering in poverty and despair and under tyranny. So put on the resurrection, not to get re-saved, but just to be modeling your soul into the way that the kingdom is supposed to be. I want to leave us with a story just to kind of remind us of what this looks like. And this is um, a story of... Well, I think I missed a couple slides, Kyle. Let's go through them real quick. So yeah, that's our mission. If you are with Christ, you've been raised up with Christ, and you share in his authority now, so you don't have to be afraid. You can go and give of yourself, your money, your time to love and serve others, so that way they can know Christ, to go make those pockets of heaven. There's the circles again. I think I probably... Oh, good, good, good. I want to tell a story of Blessed John of, of Penna, which just makes me hungry. No, oh, maybe. I was thinking Italian food, but like penne, but Pennsylvania possibly. <laughs> no, uh, I want to leave us with this story. He was a Franciscan monk called by St. Francis who joined uh, the Brothers of Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi, if you're familiar with him. So he was from Italy originally. And the story goes that when he was converted... He was in a church service, and he was just overwhelmed with the beauty and wonder and filled with the love of God. And he desired so strongly to be with God that he prayed and prayed fervently, asking that he could be taken into heaven to be with God immediately. And according to legend, while he was praying this, an angel appeared to him and said, You must first, John, make a great journey and that at the end of it, heaven itself will be opened to you. So John 
had this prophecy that he was going to live into, that one day he was going to make some kind of great epic journey, like a quest, Lord of the Rings kind of style. And when he had completed it, he'd be welcomed into the gates of heaven. So you can imagine his excitement when shortly afterwards, St. Francis assigned him, along with a couple of the other brothers, to go from Italy into France to start some Franciscan houses. John left expectantly, thinking that when they arrived at their destination, he would be swept up in a chariot like Elijah into heaven. But instead, when he got there, all he found was a small provincial French town. Good morning, Belle. (laughs) And it was in that small provincial French town that he ended up living for 25 years, founding houses of hospitality, caring for the poor, healing the sick, preaching the gospel. And after 25 years, John was tired, and he sat down in prayer again with fervent desire to be in the presence of the Lord. And he prayed, Lord, when is this great journey going to happen? Lord, I'm tired. Take away my soul. And again, he received a divine reply telling him, you still have your great journey to make. And at the end, you'll be welcomed into the gates of heaven. A few months after he prayed this and received this answer, John received word back from Italy calling him to return from his mission. And so John, again, traveled out in high spirits, making his trek over dusty road, high mountains, enjoying each river that he drank from in spring and seeing the grass, seeing it as if he was going to be seeing it for the last time. Fervently expecting that now, once I make this final journey back to France, or to Italy, I'm going to be welcomed into the gates of heaven. I'll be with God. But when he arrived, he wasn't at the gates of heaven. He was at the gates of his hometown. And again, he stayed And he founded another hospitality house, and he welcomed strangers, and he helped give alms to the poor and needy and fed them, and he healed those who were sick, he took care of them, and he taught the gospel on Sundays. And he became a respected figure in his hometown that we actually have a document created by him uh, that was like a treatise for justice that they like had him write up, what do we do when there's civil disputes between neighbors? So he became a person of order and respect in the city. And three decades pass. And after 55 years of ministry and service to God, John fell ill and was bedridden, and he was no longer able to go on any great journeys. And on his sickbed, the story goes that Satan himself came to John, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and mocked him and taunted him, reminding John of his many sins and how he had never went on that great journey, whether it was to the Holy Land or across the seas. John never went on his great journey. He had wasted his time staying in two spots, caring for the sick and poor. And John was overwhelmed with tears and sadness, overwhelmed that he had failed in God's mission for him. After a week, of this suffering, Jesus appeared to John and drove Satan away. And taking John's hand, he said, John, your journey is over at last. And John was with Jesus in paradise at that very moment.
Jesus didn't save us just so we can wait around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the glory of heaven. But he saved you for the here and the now. You know, he's inviting you on a great journey with him to go to the people that he wants you to go to, to love the people that he's putting in your life, to just be, just be transformed into what he looks like. So that way, we can go and do the good deeds that he's prepared for us so that all may know, all may be awakened out of death and have the power of Christ. Um, just transform them forever. Amen. We have some discussion questions. I think we should take five minutes to just talk to someone around you. Um, I use this example, you know, the circles. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves believing one of these. And I want to ask you to tell your neighbor, which circle do you think you're living in right now? What's your mindset? Do you think that all is good in this world? Like this world's a perfect place and it doesn't need changing? Sometimes we can think that about ourselves too. Like, I'm fine. Do you think that everything's bad and it's all gone to poopy and there is no hope? Are you at the stage of meeting Jesus and wondering what that mission looks like? Or are you already out trying to serve and trying to transform the communities and um, yourself and the people in this, that are in your life? Then I want you to think that you can skim back. Maybe this is something you can just reflect on in this week. But if, if this passage is true, if we really were dead in our sins and Christ really did come back from the dead and <clears throat> saved us, how does that change how you're going to live this week? And lastly... What is one area of brokenness in your life or the world that you would love to see more like heaven? So, we'll take until Gary says we should do communion to talk to a neighbor about those things, but hopefully everyone can get to share at least one of those. And thank you guys. God bless you. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.